This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Republic of Football, a show that, in the infamous words of Joey McGuire, knew Texas would break, and they did. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. Sitting on the other side of the screen is Mike Craven, our college football insider. Mike Craven, what is up? How's it going, guys? Uh, I did not break yesterday. I made it through two games in the DFW area. Closed out both of them as well as I started them. Maybe better than I started them, so uh, a good day for me. Unlike Texas, you were able to last more than one half of the day. So congratulations. <laughs> on the also on the other line with us is our everyone's favorite Mal Power producer, Mallory Hartley. Mallory, it's been a rough weekend for you sports wise. I apologize, but how are you? I'm doing okay. <laughs> uh, unlike Craven, I did break, so <laughs> I don't have much of a soul left. So I'm kind of just here for the ride, and I'm here just to listen to you guys vamp and edit the podcast after so you do well, look thing. at the bright look at the bright side you only have the cowboys tomorrow night to talk about. i don't even know who do they play uh the giants, giants. hopefully that's look, a win we'll you know, look pretty okay though i don't know uh, i mean we'll, we'll see. see it's not my track record hasn't been great this week so we'll see. <laughs> when's a lot i do have a when's the last time that all three of your teams have lost on a weekend like it might have happened. It might have happened this year. I have no idea because, like, of course, Cowboys lost week one. But no, like, um, it did. Uh, Michigan State ended up winning that because I think we we played like two. I feel like it's been a while since like all three have lost. It might it might happen this weekend, so I might not be coming in Monday. <laughs> well, or Tuesday, regardless. whatever, yeah, whatever Tuesday, the Cowboys yeah. play. Yeah, I might not be coming in. <laughs> well, regardless, we have a lot of games to talk about. I hinted at one of them off the top. We're gonna start with that one. For those of you that don't, uh, that are tuning in for your first Sunday recap edition, we go through three or four of the headline games, and then we go reverse power pole order, kind of a rapid fire segment. I mentioned a Craven off the top. I have a little bit of a game uh, that I did not prepare him for. Um, it's more of a hot takey, kind of a, a not a debate, but it's, I have a question that I might have to, that I posed to Craven. He's basically going to tell me if I'm crazy or not for thinking this. So off the top, we'll just go with it. I mentioned it, Texas Tech 37, Texas 34 in overtime, potentially the last game in Lubbock between these two teams, at least for the foreseeable future. We'll see what happens um, with Texas and their future in the SEC. My first thoughts before we get to it, um, I thought both coaches were really aggressive in this game. I thought, you know, both of them went for early fourth down conversions. Some of it paid off, some of it didn't. I, I was really happy to see just kind of both of them really going for it. I thought we saw Tech run a very balanced offense that I didn't expect to see. I thought this will be a kind of a vintage Zach Kitley game where Donovan Smith approaches 65, 70 passes. Um, we didn't get that. We got a lot of rushing yards. Donovan Smith still, still threw the ball, you know, 56 times, things like that. But as Joey McGuire said in that video that's posted on Tech's football account, Texas broke in the second half. And that was a game that they should have been able to put away 
and they didn't. Tech hung around, and in the end, we're looking at Tech's biggest win since probably the Crabtree catch against Texas as well uh, over 10 years ago. So, Mike Craven, what did you take away from this game? Joey McGuire knows how to build a program. You know, those kids play hard for him in a way that doesn't happen in year one, doesn't happen by week four of year one, right? When it's a locker room that's not all your guys, they're all bought in. There's a reason that not a lot of transfers happen out of that program. They never lost belief. And that was a good thing against the Texas team, who's now blown five second-half double-digit leads in Steve Sarkeesian's tenure. They are 2-5 and since Sark got there in one-possession games. 0-2 this year with that Alabama game. They don't win close games. We thought that Alabama game was a sign that Texas learned how to play a four-quarter football game. And I don't know if they really quit as much as Texas Tech just outplayed them late. Sure. It didn't feel like a Texas team that just laid over. It felt like a Texas Tech team that went and made plays. You mentioned Donovan Smith, 331 yards through the air, 42 rushing yards, three touchdowns. The biggest stat for me, zero interceptions. Is that a Texas defense thing? Is that Donovan Smith becoming more mature? I thought that was a huge sign. Uh, Miles Price, 13 catches for 98. We kind of talked about that before the year, that he could be kind of a Jareth Stearns in the Zach Kitley offense. I didn't get to see a lot of this game because we were at the iron skillet. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that Texas Tech ran 100 plays yeah, is, is kind of proof positive why you bring in somebody like Zach Kitley. That offense was good. They wore down that Texas team. That's why they won the fourth quarter. And again, I, I think like what we saw Joey McGuire talking about postgame, you saw in that two-minute clip why he's so fun to play for. Yes. And Texas Tech is building something out in West Texas. Now they have a proof of concept win. You can now go to recruits and go, look what we're already doing in week four. We're passing these guys up. When this Big 12 opens up, when Texas and Oklahoma gone, look where we're positioned to be. And so considering it was the last time Texas is going to be in Lubbock for a long time, this is one that the Texas Tech fan base can hold on to for a while. This is one that ingratiates Joey McGuire even more into that fan base. And it's one that just builds confidence in the project that is ongoing that, hey, we got the right guy this time. It's been a few higher since Texas Tech's been able to feel that way. Yeah. I think one of the things that if you're a Texas fan, that's really disappointing is that I thought Hudson Card played his best game. Um, Hudson Card was absolutely stellar. I tweeted during the game, like, I can't wait to see where he plays next year because it's probably not going to be Texas because obviously Quinn Ewers is going to come back, but he's also going to see like, I'm good enough to start somewhere because he, again, there is a reason why Texas was up a double digit lead and should have been putting this game away. And Sarkeesian is a great play caller. I'm not here to criticize his play calling. I think his game managing is where they lose the game because this is a team, I think he tried too much to go for the jugular shot, right? He tried too much to go for the big play and to end the game right there when they were really able to move the ball and hold on to the ball and things like that. And I think that there were too many times where he was like, here it is right here, boom, we're gonna, you know, this is the game right here and they try to kill it off and didn't work. And too many, one too many times didn't work. And then there was a key uh, fourth down attempt that they had late where they ran the Wildcat. The same play worked earlier in the game. Roshan Johnson, uh, a keeper, I think it was, it was either Keelan Robinson. Uh, I think it was Keelan Robinson in the backfield this time. I uh, ran kind of a sweep with him, faked it right up the middle, got a first down earlier. Second half, um, Tech saw it coming and they stopped him on fourth down. Tech ends up going down and, and utilizing their next possession. Um so, yeah, I think if you're Texas, you're going to be it's going to be really unfortunate because, you know, more or less, we assume presume Quinn yours is going to come back next week and you kind of probably wasted Hudson Card's best game overall. But back on Donovan Smith, you mentioned it. They can't start Tyler Shuck now like they can't 
like he's probably you know he's probably still another month ish away from coming back this guy's done everything you need of him he's beaten houston he's beaten texas he had a weird game against nc state the whole team did and he's leading a balanced attack now right 56 passes 44 rushing attempts as a whole. I know obviously some of, a lot of that is Donovan Smith kind of running out of the pocket, but still you're able to have designed runs with him. He's getting a rep- uh, rapport with the quarterback, with the wide receivers. Baylor Cup, a breakout game for him, right? He's somebody who we were really surprised that they were able to get former five-star tight end out of Brock from AM. Four catches, 65 yards, one touchdown. He There was a drive where you saw him, uh, uh, Donovan Smith completely find, like looking for him as much as he could. And again, you, there are a lot of guys and this transfer era is just, I think, I, I forgot who tweeted, I think it might've been Dan Wolken from Yahoo Sports. The, the slow rebuild is over in college football, right? Because you can go out and find Baylor Cups. You can go out and find Brady Boyds. There's no reason to be like, no, 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 Tech's not gonna, you know, and we, we, we were just cautious about, I guess, overall, we didn't know what Joey Maguire was going to be as a college head coach. We didn't know what a lot of these guys were going to be, but there's no reason to not say that, you know, uh, tech, if they can just make a bowl, right. It was like, no, they made a bowl last year, right there. We probably should have had more expectation of like what potentially this team could have been with a lot of these additions with what they were bringing back from a bowl team last year, a team that won a bowl. And I don't, I, and then uh, what, what we presumed was an upgraded offensive coordinator, upgraded head coach, things like that, um, and an improved defense. So here's it comes to my here's here's the question that I had. I'm gonna call this segment tentatively, Am I crazy? Mike Craven, am I crazy to think tech can win the Big 12? Yes. Okay. Why? I don't know if they can be consistent enough right away. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see Donovan Smith being a guy who's not going to throw a couple interceptions here and there along the way. That- a game or two Mm. i still feel like oklahoma kansas state baylor just have better depth and talent in the trenches and as the season goes on as there's more tape as people figure out the game plans against this texas tech offense that margin of error is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller if you tell me donovan smith on saturday is the donovan smith we get moving forward taking care of the football then sure this big 12 is so wide open that there's probably seven or eight teams that can win it and texas tech's right there in it i think we add tcu in there that we didn't think was a possibility as well because of the same reason. So I do believe the Big 12 is wide open. Ask me again, middle of October, maybe I'll have a different answer. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's still hard to imagine this tech team with the offensive line concerns and a quarterback that can turn the ball over plays consistently throughout the year. I I think we get kind of a Jekyll and Hyde situation from Tech's offense, kind of like where you'll have a week against North Carolina State where it just never gets out of second gear. And then you're going to get a week like Texas where they run 100 plays and look efficient. All right, for both teams, uh, huge two-game stretches. Obviously, for Texas, you have West Virginia at home. Presumably, Quinn Ewers will be back. We just uh, That's gut feeling. That's not an indicator. We haven't, we're not reporting anything. We just presume that you wouldn't throw him again in against Oklahoma the next week. So if he's been suited out, if he's been warming up, kind of hope that he'd be ready to go against West Virginia so he wouldn't be thrown in against the Sooners. Um, and then for Tech... I mean, you know, it, they can make me look really stupid really right now, right? They got Kansas State and Oklahoma State both on the road back to back, right? I could have this, that are you crazy question could absolutely be answered for me in a hard no. Because um, Kansas State, of course, coming off a big win over Oklahoma. And then Oklahoma State probably looks like, I guess, the best team in the Big 12. I don't know. Again, like you mentioned, there's so many teams that look like they can win right now. Um, so, yeah, kind of a, a huge pivotal two-game stretch for both of those teams in the next couple weeks. 
can I ask, can I turn the segment around on y'all and ask y'all a crazy question? Sure. Are we sure Texas makes a bowl game? Ooh. They need um, four, they need four more wins out of the schedule, and I'm just going to read it out loud. They mm-hmm. need four wins here. We'll give them West Virginia, so they need three after West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, TCU, Kansas, Baylor. I mean, like you said, it's up in the air. The Big 12's up in the air. It's it's hard to say right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna say they make a bowl. I'm going to say they make a bowl. Um, give me West Virginia. Give me Iowa State. I think I'm going to go Kansas, too. I think they I beat think Kansas. Because I, I, I think, I think I, they get that game at home, right? It's, no, it's a at late, Kansas. It's at, it's at Kansas. Kansas. The pro, it's at Kansas, but the problem is I wonder what – that's late season, right? Yes. Kansas is on a really yeah. big high right now. I, I still – I think Kansas is good. I don't want people to think that, you know, uh, that, I'm, that I'm skeptical. But that is a full season of figuring out what Kansas is going through there, basically the entire Big 12 and figure I'm going to give them Kansas right now. Mm-hmm. Talk to me in October. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so we're, but we're, that's struggling. three though, right? That's right. three right now. Right. I'm, I'm trying we're, to find a four and I'm struggling to find four. And that's when they were leaving that Alabama game, that one point win, we were talking, Texas going to be eight and four, nine and three. They got a chance to win the big 12 championship. You You flash forward. Give me, they look, Baylor still looks unconvincing to me. Yeah. And that was also, that that one's in Texas. That that one's at Texas as well. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I'll I'll say West Virginia, Iowa state, Kansas, Baylor. They're going to be in a dog fight to get six wins. Yeah. Yeah. In year two, in year two under Sark, some of that's the quarterback stuff, not having Quinn Ewers the whole time, but it's still the same problems in Texas. And that's the concern. It's still second half problems and closing out football games and knowing how to win. It's still a locker room that does not know how to win those games yet. Right. And I guess the most discouraging part to me was that defensively in the second half, and I'm not blaming him for this, but like they got DeMarvio, they got their best player back on defense and they looked worse. Right. Like they looked, they, it, it should have been a shot in the arm. Right. And I'm not saying he was the cause of that I'm just saying as a unit, you thought, okay, you get your, you get your leader back right uh, after the suspension. And they just did not look like the same team. Uh, not again, not blaming him, but it just looked like they still, they still had the same fatigue issues and kind of overall, I don't know. It's a thing that he has to address. Um, I see a lot of people on Twitter already calling for Gary Patterson to take over full-time as a defensive coordinator. <laughs> We'll see about that. I don't know about that. A lot of TCU fans had some uh, thoughts on that as well. But speaking of TCU fans, let's get to the game you guys were at. The Iron Skillet in on the hilltop. Sonny Dykes return. Sonny Dykes, as Craven put in his article, sunny side up. TCU 42, SMU 34. I like that headline. That was he was one. so proud of it, too. He, was like, hey. good one. he, he oh. turns his laptop to me. He's like, hey, look at this. And I was like, nice. <laughs> how, how long were you holding on to that headline? All week. Yep. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so you guys were All there. Um, this is a game that, at least from, from my perspective, and I want to see if you guys have it too. TCU just came out and looked like the better team. Mm-hmm. And SMU, the reason why this game was close, and I know they had like a touchdown late with like a minute to go or something like that. It probably should have been a two-score two game. Um, it was a lot of SMU. I don't know. It felt like a lot of SMU scrapping to get a lot of these points because it was not a good Tanner Mordecai game, in my opinion. 
TCU's offense looked like an absolutely explosive offense. Garrett Riley, I thought, was absolutely in his, in his bag. Uh, there was that one leak out to the tight end on one of the touchdowns. I think it was the read uh, uh, play action, and then tight end kind of leaked out, and it was like a wide open throw right there. And it was like, oh, that's just like beautiful concept. Um, Max Duggan looked fantastic. Running game looked fantastic. Defensively, they looked fine. Um, but I don't know. What did you? What was your guys' takeaway of being at this game? Yeah, to me, if, T, if we're going to let's start on the TCU side, I, yeah. I was really impressed with how they came out and played considering they were idle in week three. I was worried that they'd mm. be a little rusty. They've only played against Colorado and then an FCS team, and they looked bad in the first half against Colorado. What were we going to see against a decent SMU defense? Max right. Duggan was excellent. And Max Duggan's been excellent in his three starts against SMU now. He's had nine touchdowns, zero interceptions in three starts. 22, 29, 284, three touchdowns. Yeah, he was, he was awesome. SMU could not cover. TCU mm-hmm. SMU's only shot defensively was to sack Max Duggan and to hope he, they caused enough pressure to get in, to get incompletions and they sacked him five times and pressured him a few other times so on their defensive series where they had success it was all that defensive line all those linebackers they blitzed more than they had SMU blitzed a lot more than they had in previous weeks I thought that caught TCU off guard a few times I was super impressed with Max Duggan I was super impressed with the offensive play calling I still feel like Quentin Johnston should be better like he, sure. he's, he's supposed to be the best guy on the field all the time. I, I think he's going to be a, a day one, day two type NFL draft pick with just the way he'll test. Uh, but he needs to go get some of those one-on-one balls that he wasn't going to get. But then conversely, I was super impressed with TCU's defense. This is a defense that allowed 350 yards rushing in this game last year to SMU. This year, they, they gave up less than three yards per carry. You know, they made it to where it was Tanner Mordecai and Tanner Mordecai only that can move the ball. And if we move over to the SMU side, I honestly thought there was an opportunity that Preston Stone was going to get into that game in the second half. That's how bad That's how bad Tanner Mordecai was playing. And I'm a Tanner Mordecai guy. Anybody who's listened to this podcast, read our magazine, all that kind of stuff knows I, I'm pretty high on Tanner Mordecai. He was on the Fat 55 back when I was at the Statesman. I've always been a big Tanner Mordecai guy. But he's turning the ball over a lot this year. He had three turnovers against Maryland that cost him. He had a couple more turnovers against uh, TCU that cost him. He had an interception against North Texas. When he's played against FBS opponents this year, he's thrown at least one pick. So that has to get cleaned up. They're not good enough defensively yet. And I think Scott Simons is an excellent defensive coordinator that's going to get figured it out. But they're not good enough specifically in the secondary for their offense to turn the ball over. The good news for SMU is it had been kind of Rasheed Rice or bust through the passing game. We saw Jake Bailey emerge. He's healthy. He's healthy. He's good. That gives them a secondary option at wide receiver. So if Tanner Mordecai can lock in and kind of do what Clayton Toon did last year, where it's like, hey, we don't need you to be Superman. We need to just not turn the ball over, and then the offense takes off. If something similar like that can happen, I think SMU is going to be fine in the American because, as we'll talk about later, the American's wide open with Houston struggling, Cincinnati not being all that great. Tulane may be the best school in the in the American right now, which is insanity. So I think if you're TCU, this gives you confidence. You, you get to put this past you. I think number one for yeah. TCU – is you just kind of get to put this in the rearview mirror. You can just talk about football now. Last week, I was guilty of this as well. Only thing we wanted to talk to Sonny Dykes about was SMU. Mm-hmm. Leaving mm-hmm. SMU, facing those same players, what that's going to be like. Rhett Lousher used to be your OC. What this, none of it was about football. Mm-hmm. Now, they get to turn the page on that, go into Big 12 play, only talk about football. And from what we saw yesterday with TCU and in the rest of the Big 12, it's wide open, and this Horned Frog team has as much of a chance as anybody in. I went down to uh, probably the last 10 minutes of the game. I went down to the field to try and get some crowd shots and stuff. And first of all, there was 
maybe the fourth of the stadium was filled. All the fans filled out at right. halftime. It was yeah. it was pretty sad. Um, but man, those TCU fans, they stayed and they showed out too. There was a whole section of TCU fans. And towards the end of the game, Sonny walked over to the TCU crowd and they were all chanting Sonny Dykes, like Sonny Dykes, super mm. loud. And it just filled the stadium so he is he's like their hero now but it was a it was a really cool sight here's a funny thing about Sonny Dykes that I love though right is like all last week he's like I don't want to do any of this I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about this I don't want the game so you know the Sonny Dykes chant happens so I text him I'm like hey what'd you you know what did you think about them chanting your name he's like I didn't really like it you know I (laughs) I this is just kind of embarrassing you know like that's like he just wants the drama gone he right, just wants right. to do the football thing. And I, I think now with this game, with this page turned for like, they can just go and play football again and play a little bit of free play free. I think the coaching staff and the players will welcome that because this week was all narrative. None of it was about game plans or anything like that. It was all narrative. Uh, I think when we're talking tech or TCU, I think the question becomes, which one do we think is better poised to make a run in the big 12 this year? Mm-hmm. I trust I so. Max Duggan a lot. I was going to say, like, he looked really crisp in this game. He, and I think both schools are in the same situation where their opening day starters got hurt earlier in the year. And even when they come back, they're going to be on the bench. I was about to say, you cannot yeah. start Chandler Morris and you cannot start Tyler Shuck. You can't. Duggins looked more consistent, too, than I think that Dunneman Smith has. I mean, I don't, I haven't, I didn't pay close attention to what he did the past two games, but I don't think he's thrown a pick this year, has he? Duggan? I can't. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't yeah, think so. I think he he's just looked it. much better than. But when he's Smith been on, when he's been on the field, that TCU offense has moved the ball. Yeah. yeah. They just look more consistent. Yeah. They look decisive. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they just, do. It, 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 I, and that's a credit to Garrett Riley too. Cause oh, yeah. um, he's absolutely schemed the hell out of them. Like I think they had, they finished, I think uh, uh, Kendra Miller finished with over nearly 150 yards on the ground. Like they were, he was just absolutely insane by the way what's is Kamar Wheaton just not what we think he because like they were hammering Trey Siggers and it was just like man that's not working like there's got to be something else here and Kamar Wheaton what had two carries or whatever and I think Velton had like three years I don't know but it was like a lot of it was Trey Siggers and Trey Siggers was not it yesterday like it just wasn't it was finished with 20 carries for like under 80 yards something like that yeah and it was just like I, I don't know. Maybe we just overhype uh, Kamar Wheaton because we knew, you know, five-star recruit, Bama, whatever. But it was just like, you have more running backs than just Trey Siggers. And they, they really try to make him work. They miss Lu- Ulysses Bentley a lot. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. That's very they, fair. They do not have that explosive player out of the backfield that you can just swing the ball to and hope he goes 60 yards after the catch or makes yeah. one man miss and then goes the distance. Trey Siggers is just not that guy. We hoped Car- Kamar Wheaton would be. But whether it be through rust, injury or overratedness he just has not been that guy so far yeah so anyway that was a that was a fun one to start the day off with um like i said i think tc was up 28 7 so you know maybe sure you you may think that you if you're a tcu fan the only thing i guess the only thing is you probably want to be able to you know maintain that lead or something but smu is an explosive offense they were going to get going eventually in some fashion so you probably wouldn't wasn't going to stay like that uh the whole time so all right, moving on to Texas A&M 23, Arkansas 21. Craven, you pulled the double yesterday. You swung over to Jerry World to go check this one out. Uh, let me just remind everyone who did not see this game. This game was 
about 80% in Arkansas's control when they were up 14-7 and KJ Jefferson decided to try and jump from the five to get this wasn't on the goal line this blew, this blew my mind this he wasn't near the goal line this wasn't on the one this wasn't on the two they were on like the four or the five he tries to superman cam newton dive in the end zone they knock the ball out because of course he's not the most nimble guy so he's not going to go very far they knock the ball out Chappelle jumps on it and starts carrying it Damani rich smart play from Damani Richardson say hey give me the ball as Chappelle's getting tackled he hands it to him Damani Richardson takes off down the field, 80 plus yards or 90, whatever it was the other way, 14 point swing. Instead of going tw- down 21, seven, it's tied 14, 14. And then Arkansas just looks just completely rattled after that point, And they do not look like the same team. AM goes on to win. Arkansas, of course, ends up missing a game winning field goal and AM pulls off their much needed win in this one. Craven, you were in there in the building. Um, I, I saw a lot of people say like Arkansas need, needed to get that AM crowd out of it. And until that play, they were not out of it, but very much kind of teetering. Yeah, Arkansas scores that touchdown, it's probably over because mm-hmm. 28-7 feels insurmountable for that AM offense, even though it, it was improved uh yesterday. It still is not explosive. Max Johnson's still not great, right? He's just not turning the ball over, which is what Jimbo needs. He needs a game manager, he needs an Alex Smith. Right, right, right. You know, and Mac, Max Johnson's providing that because right now it's just defense and Devon A chain. Like my lead in the story was like, what if you just made the whole plane out of Devon A chain? You know, right. like he's just that good. And so if Max Johnson just doesn't make any mistakes, occasionally picks up a first down with his legs or his arm, and then you just lean on Devon A chain. So far, so good for Texas AM. They could be one in three. Like the 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 world was the sky was falling on Jimbo Fisher and AM. And I and I think. The book is closed on Jimbo Fisher, the play caller. I, I believe we can all agree that this offseason, there needs to be even just a Joe Brady, bring it in for scheme type right. of deal. I was about to say, let, there's not going to be a lack of play callers available. Right. Just like go do something that changes this offense, updates it, makes it a little simpler for these quarterbacks to come in and understand it and, and digest. Sure. However, Jimbo Fisher, the head coach and program manager, earned his paycheck the last couple of weeks because we were talking about Texas earlier. This is a game Texas loses. Yeah. And this was a game that AM figured out a way to win, even though they're playing with one arm behind their back. And so this felt like a boxing match being there. Arkansas won the first couple of rounds. They're up 14 to nothing. AM lands a huge haymaker counterpunch to, to turn that to 14 13 before halftime. They go on a 23 nothing run in the second or third quarter to take a 23 14 lead. And then all of a sudden, here comes Arkansas again in the fourth quarter. And it looks like, Hey, the Razorbacks are going to win this one. And sometimes you need a little bit of luck. The difference between us piling on to, I almost said something wrong, said something bad. The difference between us piling on Texas A&M today and us praising the job that Jimbo's done and and riding the ship and kind of keeping them on track during all this stuff is a field goal hitting the top of the goalpost and bouncing backwards instead of forwards. Right. That's how small the margins are. Mm -hmm. But this game is always weird between Texas and A&M or Texas A&M and Arkansas. It's always weird in Jerry world. And for the most part, Texas A&M always finds a way to come out on top. They won 10 out of their last 11 in that one, even though they're all really weird. So give credit for Texas A&M for winning two games in a row where they're playing their B or C type game. Give credit to Devon A. Chain in that rushing attack because he's been the best running back in the state so far. And then give credit to that wrecking crew defense because they were absolutely awesome yesterday. And they're the only reason Texas A&M isn't one in three and talking about buying Jimbo out right now. 
Yeah, I was gonna say that early on, KJ Jefferson looked more or less unstoppable. Right when they yeah. were up fourteen nothing, and it was like, oh my god! And then that that play happens, and then I believe they got uh, KJ Jefferson. They sat KJ Jefferson on the next drive, and he again, it looked it looked like that team was a little bit rattled a bit that they didn't expect A and M to be able to to hold on to something to to come back into that game. Um, I agree. I do want to give. It, it goes to your point about the play calling, because damn it, Evan Stewart is good. <laughs> like he's really good, and he had three catches for thirty-six yards. They don't but have the, the three... time to get to him. That's fair. That, fair, completely. They fair. don't. Completely fair. That's like, fair. Like we can talk about the quarterback all day. We can talk about the play calling all day. They don't have an offensive line. Yeah, like, Arkansas was just like hot butter through or hot knife through butter yesterday. Right. It, it was a matter of when they got to him more than if. So it's all short passing game stuff. Right. My concern for AM is they lost to Knight Smith and it looked like it was going to be a, a decent injury. He was on crutches by the end of the game in a walking boot. How how quickly does he get back? Because Johnson looks like he only can throw it in the middle of the field. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's Donovan a, that's Green a had a big deal, uh, had a big game at tight end, and Nia Smith, slot receiver. He's struggling outside the hash marks, which is why I think Evan Stewart's struggling to get involved a lot mm-hmm. in terms of the, I think some of its limitations with Max Johnson, some of its limitations offensive line. Uh, but they're going to need to figure that out because without Anaya Smith, a guy like uh, Evan Stewart has to become a focal point of this offense. Yeah. Um, I do remember now one of the passes I'm remembering was over the middle when Evan, Evan Stewart kind of like they got near field goal range toward the end of halftime. And he kind of like made a couple moves to get to the outside. And it's like, that's, that's the guy that, you know, you, you hope that he can just develop into being a star. Um, by the way, I said the game was tied. I forgot. I think they missed the extra point or something. They did. On, yeah. So it was 14, 13. Um, what was the, what was another point I was going to make? Um, oh yeah. Shout out Drew Sanders and Landon Jackson. who yeah. both had a sack in this game. They look really look good. They look excellent, man. How did we let those guys get out of the state twice? <laughs> like Drew Sanders goes to Bama first and then Landon Jackson goes to LSU and then they transfer to another out of state school. And now Drew Sanders leads the nation in sacks with six and a half. And oh, they look so good. I'm so mad that they're playing for another Bump, team. Bumper pulls a Texas guy too. Yeah. yeah I keep I forgetting about say. bumper pull every single time. Dwight McLaughlin was a starting cornerback for them. Five out of their 11 starters were transfers from tech from the state of Texas. If they weren't. And then if, uh, if uh, uh, what's his face was healthy, um, uh, the safety. Oh, Jalen Catalan. Yeah. Jalen Catalan. That's their best player on defense and he's yeah. not healthy. You know, so I was like, yeah, like, <sighs> Arkansas. I mean, there's a reason why they were, they're considered like a tertiary Texas school. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, regardless, I was, it, that was really cool to see those guys make big plays. Uh, I think Drew Sanders sack came in like the first half or, so, or first quarter or something like that. But anyway, moving on AM, you know, we'll, we'll keep a tab on that. Um, you know, they they won. Congratulations. So. One team that is uh, perfectly fine and nothing going wrong at all. Houston, 34, Rice, 26, 27. Um, Mike Craven, I have a, I'm going to start off with my am I crazy question because uh, there, was a, there was a quote I think Joseph Duarte had from Dana Holgerson that basically meant Dana Holgerson's tired of this crap, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see if I have the exact quote right here. It's post game, of course. But mind you, Houston won, right? They escaped, but you know, you're probably not wanting. They to, crawled uh, to the finish line. I was about to say you're probably not wanting a close game against Rice <laughs> if you're Houston. But we'll get to Rice in a bit. Uh, definitely still very impressed with Rice. Uh, here it is. A clearly frustrated Dana Holgerson. Uh, this is from Joseph Duarte in the post game presser. Tired of yelling at them. Tired of motivating them. Tired of all that crap. 
All right. <clears throat> and then, oh, then the, uh, the follow-up to that was uh, Houston coach Dana Holgerson was unhappy with, in, with another close game, specifically late when the Cougars couldn't close the door and Rice had one final chance. I've coached the same way for 34 years. This blank is hard and it's getting irritating. So my am I crazy question to you, Mike Craven, is he has coached the same way for 34 years. Is Dana Holgerson as good of a coach as the contract implied that he was? This is a guy, I have some, I have some, 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 you know, as a head coach, back to 2012 when he took over West or 2011, he took over for West Virginia, right? That was the Orange Bowl beatdown where they took care of Clemson 61, whatever. That was 10 and three. Since then, seven and six, four and eight, seven and six, eight and five, 10 and three, seven and six, eight and four. Houston handed him a five-year, $20 million contract, making him before Jeff Trailer's extension last year, he was the highest paid G5 head coach in the country. And then they gave him an extension last year for 2027. Has he ever been that coach to bet the whole farm on? If you're Houston, yes, because it's not like you're going to go get a Jimbo Fisher or a Kirby Smart or a Lincoln Riley. He's in that next group of guys you can go get. You're not going to get a Dave Aranda. Right. You're going to get a guy like Dana Holgerson. Those records you mentioned at, at West Virginia are remarkable. I know that are they're they, not. I, I mean, look, look, look what happened since he's left. You well, know, like, look what happened before. Stinks. My question is, look what happened before. Bill Stewart was ran out of town, and he had three straight years of nine straight wins. But not in the Big 12, though. Fair, fair. Completely fair. Completely fair. They, they, were playing, they were playing a little different type of competition, you know, back then. I do think Holgerson is really I, – I think this is just the Mike Leach in him. He likes to motivate his players through the media. He's going to get up there and say some stuff that makes those players upset. He, he said he, in another quote, he said after the game, I'm not taking responsibility for that. I tell him how to do, I tell him what to do. Right. Yell at him, I'm not the one committing penalties. I'm not the one in turnovers. Like I'm not taking responsibility for that. I think that's just him trying to motivate his players and, and go like, look, even in this win, we're not playing good enough. This first four weeks have been really bad. Clayton Toon called it dramatic, that there's just been a lot of drama and they need mm -hmm. to figure that stuff out. They had the fight on the sideline last week. Clearly something isn't going right at Houston. The good news for the Cougars is they can throw that all out, go into the American, and if they can make a run in the American and get back to that conference championship game, this is all for naught. Sure. So this week coming up is a big deal with the conference you know, season starting, but – to your point, I do think Dana Holgerson is the is a guy. I think he's a he's a really good coach. Is he an elite level great coach that's going to maybe move on beyond a Houston? Probably not. This is probably where he's at. Uh, but he is a little honorary. He does get a little touchy, and he's not afraid to say stuff out loud that a lot of coaches would never put out in the public space. I would imagine a lot of coaches feel that way, a decent amount of times. Jimbo Fisher after App State probably wanted to say similar stuff to what right. Holgerson said yesterday. But usually coaches just wait until they're behind closed doors and then they beat their players down. Dana Holgerson will do it out loud, just like Mike Leach will do it out loud. For me, it's not time to push the complete uh, panic button on Houston yet, but if they start looking like this and don't get it together in conference play, then it absolutely is. I think it's fair to say Houston's not as good as we thought they were going to be. Sure. At this point, it's just trying to save face in the conference, see if you can put on a run. And – Realize that the American is not very good either. Who's the best team in the American? Yeah, like you mentioned, oh. it's probably Tulane right now. Tulane, Tulane Cincinnati, Cincinnati yeah. Memphis, maybe, you know, SMU, we just saw lose two in a row. So this isn't a great conference that they're rolling into. If they can get it back together, figure it out, and go on a six, seven, eight win run, 
all's white, all's right in the world. My problem with Houston is their offensive line. Yeah. Last year they were balanced. Clayton Toon was able to throw for 3000 plus yards and not throw any interceptions because everything was one-on-one on the outside. There were seven, eight men in the box. You had to account for that. The offensive line gave them time this year. There's not a consistent running game. They pop a few every now and then. Um, and then there's not consistent, you know, blocking in, in pass pro. So Clayton Toon's under a lot more pressure this year than he's ever been. We're starting to see him make some mistakes on the rice side, man, the owls are good. They're they, that is a team that just fights, man. That's a good, like they, they are like Mike, Mike Bloomgren was right off all off season when he said like, he finally has a team that he feels good about that. He feels confident in not only the starters, but with the two deep, we're seeing that being able to play a four quarter game. Cause like rice in years past would have hung with them for a half and then got beat by 30. And they hung with I was about them to say last year. I think last year, literally they hung with them for a half and then lost by like double digits. Yeah. <laughs> just didn't have the debt. Right. Um, and so when rice isn't turning the ball over rice can play with almost anybody on their schedule. The last couple of series, you know, they had the they had the fumble. They got returned for a touchdown by Nelson Caesar. They kind of put the game away. Then TJ McMahon's pressing a little bit, throws an interception. But before that, they played a clean game and they were in it. So so far, what we can say about Rice is, when they're not turning the ball over, they are capable of playing with anybody except for USC on their schedule. And there's no more USCs on the schedule. They get into Conference USA at two and two. A six seven win season like UTEP had last year is absolutely in the cards, and that would be a fantastic coaching job by this staff. I've really liked the way the offense looks. It doesn't look like Stanford anymore. Right. It's really starting to turn a little bit. It's still it's still a pound you in the mouth physical offense, but they do it in creative ways. They spread it out a little bit. Their receivers had a big game. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosner and uh, McCaffrey combined for yeah, you know, I think like thirteen or fourteen, you know or 14 catches each almost or something mm-hmm. like that. So a really big get day on the outside with a couple of wide receivers. It's, it's nice to see rice kind of playing creatively being exciting on offense and playing in these games that we normally don't consider rice to be a part of. They beat a they beat Louisville, uh, Louisiana last week as a 12 point underdog. They were 17 and a half point underdog against Houston this week. And they were right in it with five minutes left to go in that game. Yep. I think one of the things that, the unfortunate thing for me is is how um, they lost this game because TJ McMahon, he was playing pretty well, right? He had one pick, but then I think with four minutes to go, he had sacked, fumbles, they lose, uh, they recover it, but it goes back like seven yards. And then he gets sacked again, fumbles, Houston picks it up, rolls in the end zone, and that ends up being the kind of the, the game deciding margin right there. Um Cause they were like, it, it was, I think it was tied at 27 at that point. Yeah. That was the, that was, that's how Houston went up 34. So um, 34, 27. So it was kind of an unfortunate, you know, dud of a, of an ending for them. Cause their defense had played pretty well up to that point. You know, they stopped, I think Tejon Henry on a fourth down fourth and one late, uh, late in that game to keep him in it. Like you mentioned, they're just a team that they're a physical team that fights, man. Like they're, it's not at times the prettiest offense, right? They still struggling to run. They're still trying to run the ball, which, you know, it's, it's fine. You don't have the receivers and the depth to like become, you know, throw the ball 60 times. Um, but they're still churning the ball. They're still trying to figure things out. Uh, they found something in Luke McCaffrey and, um, and Bradley Rosner on the outsides. Both those guys are absolute playmaking guys on the outside. So, I think they have something now. They have that. They have a really solid defense, right? Clayton Tune threw a pick yesterday. He, um, uh, I mentioned the fourth down stop against Tejon Henry. I do think if you're Houston, I will say 
Matthew Golden's looking like he's coming into the fold, which is a really good sign for them. Uh, one of their most highly touted recruits. Um, of course, uh, uh, Joseph Manjack is somebody who's been kind of here and there. So they're finally start. If you're Houston, you're finally starting to see the secondary guys, right? Besides Nathaniel Dell, you're starting to see Tishon Henry run the ball a little bit better, a little bit more comfortably. Um, you're starting to find those other receivers. Now it's just about just kind of relaxing, right? It's just about like actually playing like you guys know you can play. Um, and sure, you know, like I said, conference starts now. Uh, they got Tulane, Memphis, Navy, South Florida. That's about as easy as you're going to get in this conference, right? Like Memphis isn't, we'll talk about Memphis in a bit. They're still not Memphis as we're used to seeing. They're still fine, but they're not the Memphis that we used to see under, um, um, I'm forgetting the Florida State's head coach, but you know what I'm saying. Norvell. Yeah, Norvell. So Tulane, again, that's a tough game. Memphis, that's fine. Navy, not good. USF, not good, right? So they have a month stretch coming up where we can kind of see what's going to go on before they go and play at SMU, which, you know, we'll see what's what's there as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the American is up for grabs. I mean, I'm looking at Temple, Tulsa. Like, it's, it, it is what it is, right? There's no, like, juggernaut. They're, they don't have Cincinnati. They don't have UCF this year. So, um, you like you mentioned, it, it could be – we could forget about this uh, a month from now. So, moving on. To our actually, that's it for our uh, the, all the headline games. Let's get to the power poll. I guess one that's kind of a headline game happened on Thursday, Friday. When did this game happen? Uh, Friday. Friday feels like so long ago. But UTEP twenty-seven, Boise State ten. Let me before we before <laughs> Craven absolutely skyrockets the UTEP hype. Let me just. Put a little bit of pessimism on this. Boise State looks awful. They do. Gonna, yeah, they do. They, they, they for the first bad. time in my life, in any of our lives, I think Boise State looks legitimately awful. And That's the worst know, Boise State's ever looked in my lifetime. Ever. There's not, it's not the Chris Peterson Boise State. It's not the Brian Harson Boise State. It's not the Dan Hawkins. Boy, it is. They look bad. Now, that's out of the way. Craven, hype up the miners, please. <laughs> well, the good news for Boise State is they can hire Brian Harson in a couple of weeks if they want to hire him back. Uh, so that, can they? That, they're like three. Auburn's like three and one. I don't know if they're going to be able to. <laughs> that's true. They keep winning these like really ugly games, and you know everybody's like, ah, just lose. It's like Matt Wells last year at Texas Tech. <laughs> just, just lose, like, just lose. Like, like we've already, like they we're already reaching out to new coaches. Like just lose. We just need you to lose. Like he's going to be six and two and get fired at Auburn or something like that. UTEP. <laughs> They finally did a common sense thing. And like what, what kills me with football is like, I know all these coaches know way more football than I'll ever forget. But at the same time, they do things that are dumb. And one of the dumb things to do is to have Gavin Hardison throw 44 times against New Mexico when you don't have a deep receiving core and your offensive line isn't all that great. And Dana Dimmel, apparently, who is the play caller for those that don't know, Dana Dimmel calls his own plays. Finally got the memo that Gavin Hardison is better when he's just allowed to be efficient and not when he has to throw the ball 60 yards in the air every single passing route. He only threw the ball 11 times. Gavin Hardison was 10 of 11. When is the last time the minors were that efficient? 10 of 11 for 123 yards and a touchdown. Like I said, he threw over 40 times against New Mexico. They, they relied on the running game. Uh, Haskins and, and Awad had 38 carries for 138 yards. And then the big thing for me, they had zero turnovers. Yep. No interceptions, no fumbles because, you know, the ball went in the air 40 something times a game. You're able to control the ball. You're able to get good field position. They won the position field position battle. They won the uh, time of possession battle. 
Um, the linebackers looked really good. Like Breon Hayward's absence has been a big deal for this UTEP defense. Uh, Cal Waterstead came in there, who's the son of the defensive line coach, has really emerged as the second linebacker next to Tyrese Knight. He led the team with nine tackles, those two combined for 16. So the second level's getting a lot better. Boise didn't pass for over 100 yards. This was the UTEP defense we thought we were going to see all year. Like, where was this? In my opinion, it's the offense has been putting them in such bad positions. It's been hard. They've been on the field too much. They face turnover, like turnovers and short fields and instant changes so often this year. Not having Breon Hayward, as we mentioned, this was the first time where they played real complimentary football in all three phases of the game, and we saw them get a win. For UTEP, this changes the math. Being two and three going into the meat of the Conference USA schedule is about what we thought they were going to be. We just thought they would beat New Mexico and lose to Boise. They can still go get four wins in this Conference USA. It's not a great Conference USA, and they don't have UAB on the schedule. So they have four winnable games in the conference. They can get to six wins if they can continue to play like this, if they continue to game plan like this and keep Gavin Hardison from just being a one-man offensive show. Yeah. For, by comparison, um, I was looking it up. Boise State's uh, starting field position was their own 30. Last week against New Mexico, New Mexico's average starting field position was their own 41. <laughs> so they could not, yeah, they were handing them abs- basically the ball at midfield and saying, yeah, defense, do your thing and try to stop it. And of course they couldn't. Um, Boise State also was held to two, under 200 yards total of, of total offense, um, 55 plays from scrimmage. Like it was, again, not a good showcase from them, but definitely I'll, I'm going to give credit to Boise, uh, for, to UTEP for not letting them get into this at all because Boise state probably looked at this game and was like, man, it's been a rough game, but we got UTEP, right? We got UTEP coming up. This is the game to get right. We're good to go. And UTEP did not let them get in this game at all. Like they were not comfortable. They'd had no shot basically from the get go. It was firmly controlled thoroughly. They didn't have to be explosive, right? It wasn't the prettiest thing. Like it's almost like, and I, I know I talked about Rice's, you know, kind of having explosive weapons now, but like for the most part, Rice is an explosive offense either, right? They just know how to kind of move the ball and kind of work down the field. They're not a great running team, but they do run the ball. That's, they kind of have to be similar, right? And by, by kind of na- naturally playmakers are going to emerge if you just kind of need them to make one or two big plays in the flow of a game, as opposed to, constantly looking for that long home run ball of course when you have nfl wide receivers like they did last year okay sure yeah that can work but you kind of got to see where you're at and this was the kind of game where you kind of they kind of see where they're at and it's like all right let's not try to do that like you mentioned let's have gavin hardison throw over the middle a little bit hit the short passes a little bit because he's a capable quarterback right i think last year may have inflated his ceiling a bit of what he is as a quarterback but i think down to down he is a solid quarterback and especially in Conference USA, that's somebody that can get you to a bowl game. So um, I will say the the other stat that I looked at was Havoc plays. Havoc, for those of you that don't know, Havoc is kind of typical, typically marked as uh, a tipped pass, uh, anything like aggressively on defense, tackle for loss, tip pass, interception, you know, quarterback sack, things like that. They had 14 yesterday, right? 25% um, on, on Havoc rate, which I thought was fantastic, um, which is just aggressive defensive play. And so, again, it just meant that Boise was flustered. And uh, when you face a team, I know I ridiculed Boise, but if you face a team that's probably bad, beat them, right? punish them, make them look bad. And that's what UTEP did. So I'm going to give credit there. I do want to, a lot of people were like, this is the biggest win for Dana 
let, give yourself more credit than that, UTEP, right? This is not the Boise State that would have marked that. Last year, you guys have had that. You guys have had something like that, right? You guys have had the quote-unquote biggest wins under Dana Dimmel, in my opinion. Last year, making a bowl was that. This year, I don't know. To me, I, I feel like you should give yourself more credit than beating this Boise team in that and, and labeling it that. I think where that comes from is if you look back on last year, there's seven wins. None of them came against a team with a winning record. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So they've been beating bad teams and right. Boise state, at least helmet wise, seems like a good sure. team. It seems like sure. a good win. It seems like a sign, like a proof right, that's of concept. The bench, that's the benchmark G5 team basically. Right. I, I get it. Right. Mean. And you won in the trenches. You didn't win in a fluky way. Right. You beat up that team. You beat them up defensively. That offensive line dominated as well and wore them down. So I, I think for Dana Dimmel, you can point to it and go, that's where we're trying to be. We're trying to be that every single week. Sure. All right. A game that we can spend a total of 10 seconds talking about. Texas State 34, Houston Christian University. Nothing. Uh, I do want to mention that we recorded the Wednesday preview literally like an hour or two before that they, they announced the name change. So we were calling him Houston Baptist that whole episode. Um, so Houston Christian University, nothing. It was the first shutout, I think, for Texas State since 2014, 13, something like that. Um, I don't know. Good, good job. Thumbs up. <laughs> I'm doing was, a thumbs up on the camera. That's it was cool. nice to see Marcel Barbie had a, have a big day. That Okay, that's okay. I said 10 seconds, but now you're going to get me going on something. <laughs> That's the weird thing about this whole Jake Spavadol era is that guys will emerge and then you don't know what happens to them, right? Like Marcel Barbie, Jamil Jeter, um, uh, along the offensive line, Tate Heitmeyer, um, just guys will emerge. And then the next year, you're just like, wait, where are they? Like, are they third or fourth on the depth chart now? Again, this, it's because Lincoln Perry had a, had the most carries in this game. He looks like he's the second guy behind Calvin Hill, but it looked like Jamil Jeter was the guy last year. I don't know. That's a weird thing. Um, that's something to keep an eye on because uh, uh, Jaron Morris, similarly, um, he's somebody who was injured last year, I know, but still seemed buried on the depth chart. I don't know. Good to see Marcel Barbie. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's somebody who is absolutely a fantastic target for them. I kind of hope that he would be more of a consistent player, but, you know, we'll see. Um, and Tech State did what they want to do. They shut out a, a FCS team after losing one last year. So, you know, uh, that is a step in the right direction. All right. Uh, I think they opened conference play with James Madison, who just beat App State next week, uh, last, this week. So have fun with that. Did they end up uh, beating App State? James Madison beat App oh, James wow. Madison looks really good right now. Yeah. They J are James Madison's legit. Yeah. Wow. And of course, the NCAA is not going to let them play in the Sun Belt title game because they are idiots and they're a transition team. So I think, let me see, James Madison, they're 3-0. Uh, they killed Middle Tennessee 44 to 7. A Middle Tennessee team that just beat Miami. Miami. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then, Good by the way, that Lord. was their debut. And then they, yeah, then they beat uh, App State 32 28. So that's Texas State's opponent on the road next week. So <laughs> that'll be great. Um, moving on to a team that probably wishes they were playing Houston Christian. Uh, Memphis 44, North Texas uh, 34. I had a rolling bet in this game was will Austin Ani throw more touchdowns to Memphis than he did North Texas? Because uh, he threw two pick sixes in this game. Luckily, yeah. he finished with one more touchdown to North Texas than he did to Memphis. He finished with three. Um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, I'm in a group chat with a, with a North Texas fan, and he was having a great time watching this game, I'll just say. Um, they, threw just... The, they threw the ball 49 times. Yeah, I was going to say, they went back to the post-Mason or the, the Mason Fine era. You know, like where you throw the ball way more than you even care to run it. 
Except it's just a classic North Texas. Latrell does this sometimes where you just look down at a box score and you're like, he threw it how many times? Like what happened? They abandoned the run pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was about to say, it wasn't like they were down like 14, nothing or whatever. They weren't, they didn't have to chase the game. It was like a one score game for a lot of it. And they just decided to chase the game. They've played two future AAC opponents so far this year, and they've given up 46 points per game in those two matchups. Yeah, it was, it was just not pretty. Not good. I mean, they were, they were only down by seven at half too, just like they were for the UNLV game, you know, and then they come out and Asnani throws a pick six and they get, they scrap together a touchdown and they make it within a one score game in the third quarter. And then they come out in the, at the beginning of the fourth quarter and he throws another pick six and then boom, that's just kind of the nail in the coffin. I mean, it's just these mistakes, mistakes after mistakes. They they're chasing the game. They have the game in the back pocket and then they throw it away on these, on these dumb mistakes that they shouldn't be making. You know, they yeah. give up the two interception returns for touchdowns. And then there was also two touchdown drives for Memphis that started in North Texas territory. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. So there's 28 points just right there out of 44. And so you cut out those mistakes. You, you play better field position. You play more complimentary football and you win. Most coaches will tell you everything's about execution. You know, mm-hmm. we sit here and, and spend hours kind of breaking down these things, breaking down those things and analyzing what happened and what didn't happen. But really it's just down to like a guard missing a block or a wide receiver missing a read or a wide receiver falling down or, or whatever north texas just feels like they come out on the wrong end of that execution stuff too often yeah i will say i i know i i ripped austin on for the picks the first pick six was not his fault um they hit the ball the they hit the receiver right in the hands it was one of those chest catches where he mm-hmm. tries to catch with the chest bounces off the chest ball comes in the bumps in the air and then memphis takes it back and was awful he threw it was a low pass the receiver was draped all over him he threw it like he didn't have any juice on it and he just kind of like tried to like sidearm it in there and just threw it right to the guy um but yeah just execution stuff that's just like again it, it's it's gonna be the thing that's if we if this is the end of the seth and trailer it's gonna be the thing that spells where it's like execution should be the thing that you're good at right now this far into your tenure so yeah. um they just hadn't been able to find another quarterback yeah. yep and i guess the other the other frustrating thing is you didn't get a great seth hennigan game either from memphis so it's like you yeah. lost and he threw for like on under 150 like it wasn't like a, and know, he threw a got like torch. right yeah he's like you just yeah so anyway um we'll be talking more about that who they got next week i, I would think. imagine phil bennett was infuriated oh i would be too you, you know the defense didn't play awful points. right yeah right the offense Deep. let him down Defense yeah. played okay, you know, and they were able to get pressure at, on him. Yeah, I mean, it was, people were like, man, you got forty-four points scored against you. It's like, well, against who? They didn't score against <laughs> right, me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the, it's like the, I did my job. <laughs> right. like, I did my job. Yeah. What do you I mean? had I had a coach one time while he was obviously a defensive coach tell me that he wished defensive touchdowns took away points from the offense. Right. Yeah. You're right. That'd be great. Right. So, like, if a game's ten ten and a team has a pick six, then it's like ten three. Right. You know, rather than 17-10 to make it more accurate of how bad the offense played. You know, he's like, I get judged by how many points I give up a game, but we give up a touchdown a game to the to the other teams. You know, like, I'm I'm better than what my resume says. That's how I feel like Phil Bennett woke up this morning. Like, man, everybody's going to poop on me, and I we played pretty good. Yeah, because realistically, the defense gave up only 30 points. So if you look at it, yeah. UNT could have come out 34 to 30. Yeah. yeah. And 14 of those points came on, you know, possessions they started in your territory, you know, right. D- defense yeah. played fine. Defense yeah. played the defense played well enough to win on the road. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the 100%. offense let them down. And when your head coach is an offensive guy, that's a concerning deal. Yep. All right. Moving on in the power pole to 
<clears throat> Mike Craven, may I preach to you the bar, the, oh, let me restart that. Hold on. Oh, I messed that up completely. Here we go. Do you have a minute of your time on this beautiful Sunday for me to preach to you the word of our Lord and Savior, Andrew Body? <laughs> uh, <laughs> UTSA 52, Texas Southern 24. The score is not surprising, but I do love seeing everybody on Twitter say, man, this Texas Southern quarterback's pretty good, huh? So I just want to just want to throw out a shot to my my, my boy, Andrew Body down there. So are we going to do the thing, Ian, where we talk about where Andrew Body is going to play next year because yeah. he's like, <laughs> I don't want to too, because I want to. So good. I'm he's just so going to I'm just going to bask in an HBCU quarterback, like doing his thing. So all I know until, is until December hits, I don't want to fantasy send him anywhere yet. <laughs> all I know is if I'm Rice, I'm checking on his transcript. That's all. That's all I'm saying right there. So you're not, you're not joking. <laughs> To, to talk about UTSA, because I'm sure Corey and I will talk about this Texas, Texas Southern right. team in, in more depth on the, on the small college podcast when we, we spend an hour talking about Mary Harden-Baylor beat down on Harden-Simmons as a preview there. <laughs> Frank Harris, folks, Whew. is Whew. incredible. 20 of 31, 392 yards, four touchdowns, through four, games this, through, through four games this year. Let me just read off the stat line of our boy Frank Harris, who at one time was considered not a passing quarterback. Right. I was about He's, to say Baylor offered him as a corner or a wide receiver. Yeah, he, yeah. he was not a thrower of the football early on in his <laughs> career. Right. Wow. Through four games, Jeff Trailer calls him the most improved player he's ever coached at any level ever in his life. Through, through four games, 67.5% completion rate, 1,310 yards, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions, adding 162 yards on the ground and a couple more touchdowns. He's averaging 8.5 yards in attempt. Not a completion, mm. an attempt. Mm. Yesterday, the trio of wide receivers that he relies on, uh, DeClorian Clark, Josh Cephas, Zakarian Franklin, 20 catches for 418 yards and five touchdowns. They're so good. They're so damn good. That offense is so fun. Like it is my favorite offense to watch in the state right now. Like it, and that's not. You can put them in any. You can put them in any uniform. I was about to say. You can put them in any uniform. You could put this. They could. You could put them in that weird colors that Texas State combines, and it would still be the prettiest offense. That was unnecessary, but go on. (laughs) It's just a lot of fun to watch Frank. Not only because his offense is just exciting on its own. But yeah. to know to know his path, yes. Now he's he's a guy that almost gave up football because of injuries early in his career. His first two years of college were taken from him, and his last year of high school was basically taken from him from injuries. He didn't know if his body could hold up. Now he's the preseason conference USA offensive player of the year. He looks like a pretty much a shoe in to be the conference USA MVP at the end of the year if he stays healthy. He's been excellent. Like Mallory was talking about last week, you know, her dad watches him and is just like, oh man. That guy's amazing. Like anytime you watch Frank Harris, you're drawn to the television because he's just, he's just absolutely incredible. Here's the problem for UTSA. They were out a dozen players off their two deep yesterday because I was about to say, it seemed like everybody, uh, I follow a couple of UTSA guys and it felt like every couple minutes it'd be like so-and-so's heading to the bench so-and-so's heading to the tent so-and-so's head like it was like because frank harris went to the tent for a little bit even like in during the game so everybody was like oh jesus like what's happening now they could be out as many as seven presumed starters going into the year when they play against middle tennessee this week a middle tennessee team that beat miami and it's on friday night it's a short week on the road so we talked about early in the off season all through the summer like Will this three games not only hurt them in those three games record-wise, 
Will the effects of playing Houston, Army, Texas in a row impact Conference USA? Yep. It's going to. It's really going to. Because this is not the UTSA team that they want on the field. They're having to play with some scrap parts. We're going to find out a lot about the depth at UTSA over the next few weeks because they're going to need some back, some, some second-string guys, even some third-string guys going into the year to play important, important roles. You know, one of their offensive linemen is a walk-on who has a job, and he's starting on their offensive line right now. So that's just, that's just what it for Texas. We kind of knew, or for, for UTSA, that we kind of knew going into this year that they were going to have to survive those first three games, not only by not going 0-3, but by staying healthy. They were able to steal one. They almost stole two. Hell, they almost stole three, honestly. They were right there in all three mm-hmm. of those games. But they've come out on the other side, beat up, and that's going to be something they're going to have to weather over these next few weeks if they can get back to healthy. Yeah, and it's not – it doesn't let up any – because you mentioned Middle Tennessee this Friday. Western Kentucky, who looks really good. Remember, we were kind of wondering what they would look like post-Bailey Zappi and Zach Kitley. Austin Reed from West Florida, who's a former national title winning quarterback at D2, looks fantastic for them. I think they just shellacked an uh, FIU 73 to yeah. nothing. <laughs> like, and so, and then UTSA gets FIU after those two games. So sure, you get some solace mid-October, but that's a rough start to a conference USA that's up for grabs. And, you know, we're not we're not the biggest fans of the depth in that conference, but you'd happen to be playing two of the best teams right now, right off the bat. So uh, yeah, definitely something to monitor is that availability. They need forward. a bye week. Yes, desperately. I do they not do. know when their bye week is. Actually. I think it's after the next two. I think it's the 15th. Yeah. But I'd right before FIU. <laughs> right. I think yeah. so. Or right, after, it. <laughs> or right after. Uh, yeah, something like that. Let me see. It's looks. Oh, God. So no, it's actually, they don't get, it's Halloween weekend. So mm-hmm. Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky at FIU, which, you know, should crush them. Then they get North Texas, Texas. Then they get the bye week. So they get a solid month more games before they really get to take a breather. So that's tough. Eight games before your bye week. Uh, that's tough. That out of conference schedule was brutal in more ways than one. Oh yeah. All right. And the final team, because of course we talked about rice, talked about SMU, talked about tech Baylor 31, Iowa state 24. I was really impressed with a lot of the play calling in this game because Blake Shapen looked like he was comfortable uh i know iowa state i know baylor fans are a little bit annoyed at that early iowa state touchdown that was kind of a weird like i don't know if you saw the replay it was like a throw and like he kind of dropped it but the ref said he broke the plane it was kind of one of those bang bang plays that had really no good angle on it to see if he actually held on to the ball through the plane whatever um but regardless they didn't really matter because blake shapen looked like he was trusting his receivers to go up and get passes Dylan Doyle did his best Mike Vrabel impression and caught a touchdown out of the backfield um, to go up 17 to seven. And yeah, man, this is, this is a a huge win for a Baylor team that we were kind of, I don't want to say concerned about, but still had questions about offensively. Um, And this is a game that they needed offensively because Iowa state moved the ball pretty well. Um, I know Hunter Deckers had two picks and, you know, the defense got to him a couple of times, but they needed Blake Shapen to kind of had to have a clean game, have a confident game. And he did. I think it was 238 through the air, three touchdowns, no picks, only sacked twice. Like he was good. And this is a uh, this is kind of one of those teams that if you're if you're Baylor, you want to be able to say you're separating yourselves from the Iowa states of the pack that kind of like close but not quite there of the Big 12. You want to be able to say that, no, no, we're better than that. And they did a tough game on the road and they came out and they looked good. 
you know, due to some injuries up front that running back, they're just not going to be the same running team that they were last year. And just with the losses of Terrell Bernard, JT Woods, Jalen Petrie, you just can't replace those guys and be as good defensively as you were going to be uh, last year. So it's going to be Blake Shapen or bust for Baylor. That defense is going to be have, have to be optimistic. I can't talk right now. Um, they're going to have to, they're going to allow some yards, but they need to get some interceptions, some sacks to kind of flip that kind of stuff defensively. Uh, and then offensively, you know, they won a game on the road against a good team averaging less than three yards per carry. That's not something they do last year. It was, right. it, they had to run the football to be successful last year. We finally saw Blake shape and be the quarterback. We believed he could be when he won that job. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, okay, here is why Blake shape won that job. And for me, the biggest difference yesterday was the emergence of Gavin Holmes. You need a target. You need a number one guy. And Gavin Holmes, three catches, 92 yards and the touchdown, kind of became that big play guy for shape in that security blanket. Ben Sims at tight end was back, which was really important for him. Led the team with five catches. You talked about Dylan Doyle. That's how Baylor's going to have to win games. They're going to be in close games. It's going to be like BYU where it's close. And they just hope to come out on more of those coin flip games than not because of their culture that worked on the road yesterday against Iowa State. And in one, it was a win over Iowa State that kind of jump-started the whole Big 12 run for Baylor. Maybe this is something that happens similar form this year. Yeah, I appreciate Jeff Grimes kind of going into his bag a little bit because they had like a handoff or double reverse pass that resulted in just an absolutely wide open. Um, I don't know if it was, I don't know if that might have been Gavin Holmes in the end zone. That was just literally just like it looked like a punt return. That's how open he was. Um, but like things like that, like where it's like Blake Shapin. You got one target, right? You know, they're going to, we're going to set up as much as we can for you to be able for you to make confident throws because we saw against BYU when he's not confident, he's not taking any chance, right? He's not throwing the ball past the line, uh, barely past the line of scrimmage. He's definitely not throwing past the first down marker. And I wonder if Aranda or Grimes or whoever was like, hey, look, if there's a one on one, trust your guy, right? Trust your guy to go make a play along the sideline. That was an early throw to, um uh how presley that was just like it was a one-on-one throw he threw it on the sideline it was like hey look figure this out and press presley did and i'm wondering if that's something they're telling him where it's like hey look they're not all they're not going to be open right all the time but one-on-one coverage in college a lot of the time that's open and so you got to be able to unless they're blanketed you got to be able to trust your guys to make a play and i appreciate jeff grimes and david randa saying you know what we got a pretty good quarterback here let's make him comfortable and trust your defense to overcome that mistake. Sure, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. don't don't just willy-nilly make mistakes. But if you're making a mistake down the field on a shot play, you know, trust your defense to, to get that stop for it, you. For yeah. you. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think Grimes and Aranda realize we're not going to be able to just mash people and go win these games just with our 10 favorite plays. We're going to need to get creative. We're going to need to get outside the box and maybe call some stuff that last year we didn't have to call. Yep, so – um yeah so like i said this is the first game probably that baylor looked like last year's baylor um they played up against another physical team and came out on top and you know blake shapen looked good defense looked good uh they stuck with the running game it wasn't very explosive but you know it's a good win for them now they have a they have a much needed bye week and they go to play uh host or oklahoma state in their uh second big 12 game so they'll have two weeks to prepare for that one uh, rounding out the power poll, of course, TCU, AM, and Texas. That'll most likely change, um, obviously, with some crazy results again happening this week. Um, Craven, what are your initial thoughts on the power poll? We've had the top ranked per team on the power poll lose three consecutive weeks. All right. So I'm assuming Houston, probably Houston, jump lo- up there. Houston lost in week two to Texas yeah. Tech when they were on top of the power poll. 
Right. Tech lost in week three when they were on top of the power pole. And then Texas lost on Saturday when they were All right, on top. So I'm top presuming AM's going to jump to number one. Mm-hmm. Let yep. me see who they have. Oh, they're on a bye. So at least we get one week. Yeah. yeah. Where they can maybe the top stay on top. Stays. Yeah. And then they get Mississippi State, which would be the most AM thing to do, would lose that game right when they come back off a bye. So, uh, yeah, at least we'll have one week of uh, maintaining the number one team. So there you my go. Top, my, my top two right now feel yeah. pretty in place, A&M oh, and yeah. TCU. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think we're That's solid good. there. The so. third spot is where I get a little confused. Is it Baylor? Is it Tech? Oh, yeah, that's – man, that's rough. Yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, then who's last? And then who's last this week? You, you, it's not Texas State. I know that much. And it's and it's not UTEP. I gotta well, say, they, it's probably they North were Texas. Last week. They Bingo! Were. No, it's North Texas. Oh. So do you, okay? What, what do you do with Houston though? Do you drop Houston down there too? No, Houston won. Oh, I know, but I mean, so did Texas State and right? Or, or no, I guess no, yeah, that's North true. Texas is last. Texas now. State and UTEP. I meant. Yeah. No, he's saying North Texas is last now. I know, so. but do you drop Houston above? Do you drop because they're at nine right now? So do you drop Ugh. them at eleven? No, no, no. no yeah, it's fine. No, yeah. they still won. Yeah, they still won. So they'll stay about there. They'll stay. I mean, I'll probably drop Rice a little bit, um, but yeah. yeah, they'll they'll stay they'll stay about there. But yeah, I think North Texas has to be last in the power pole right now. Ew, man, that's rough. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Mal- just made like the nastiest face, realizing that they have to be number, they have to be last. Oh, that's not why. That's not oh, okay. Why. Oh, okay. She, I was gonna rip you a new Mich- one, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> did Michigan? State I was just gonna say. I was gonna say Texas State's always Mel-Tucker. last in the power pole, so you have no room to talk, sir. This is not, ish not this week, baby. We got that dub over Houston Christian. We're back on top. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. All righty. Yeah, Texas State beat FIU and Houston. Yeah. That's Houston. right. That's right. They have. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> That's all I see. Well, we beat UTEP, so yeah. if, we're, if we're taking sides here. Yeah. North Texas does have the better win. Yeah. Quit changing the subject here. All I see is two and two for Texas State. Thank you, Craig. All right. All right. That's true. Anyways, with that being all that said, we have interviewed 12 of the 13 F future FBS programs in the state of Texas. Shout out Sam Houston State. Jimbo Fisher, give us a call or not. I don't know. You seem to be figuring things out. Um, so you might, probably don't need us anymore. <laughs> but please still give us a call. And by the way, go Rutgers. They took an L this weekend, but. It's fine. They got Ohio State next week. They're still three and one. They're still three and one. Go Rutgers. <laughs>